0: This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. And five. Tech for sound. Four. It's showtime.
1: Three. Let's
2: go on. You're listening to the Pro Audio Suite, a program for audio and voiceover professionals. And welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. Uh, This week, the normal crew, plus we have a special guest coming in, the guy who uses Oratones. He will explain himself. That's Simon Murphy from South Melbourne Recorders. But first, Robert, while we've got you fresh on that new microphone,
0: you're using um, a new Lewitt. Yeah, a Lewitt LCT640, yep. I, I found it here in the studio. It was being used as drum overheads, and I
3: thought, well... Must be good enough for my voice. Wow. Have you seen them, George? I have. I've seen several of the Lewitt microphones. I've demoed one or two. Um, They're pretty unusual, fascinating, cost effective, and their big advertising buzz is their unbelievably low self noise. I think if it's not the 640, it's one of those in that price range that claims a negative two. Self-noise or something crazy like that. They're very square.
4: I'm just looking at them now.
2: They are very square, yep. The LCT840 is the one that is a tube microphone and a FET microphone in one. Mm. And you can mix between the two. Have you seen that one? I I haven't.
3: I've seen it. I've not tried it.
2: I know that um, the guy who does a lot of video podcasting, a guy called Warren Hewitt and Warren is uh, an audio engineer, songwriter, blah, blah, blah. Lives not that far from you, George, actually. Um, and he does a lot of podcasting, and he he uses Lewitt's a lot.
0: Hewitt loses, uses Lewitt's. Yeah, it's nice. It's Lewis. got it's got um, basically all your standard polar patterns. It's sort of like an enhanced version of a 414 in the way that it sits, although I can tell that the ground is center tapped in the diaphragm, not on the edge like the 414. But um, other than that pretty much a very 414-esque mic in terms of its physical layout um, and then on the front it's got a minus 40 minus 150 or sorry these are roll-offs 40 150 and I don't know why a 300 hertz roll-off what are, what are yeah. you
2: recording jet engines up close or something
0: well, no, that, that that that's not the pad. I mean, the pads oh. are six, the pads are six, twelve, and eighteen, but the roll offs are forty, one hundred and fifty, and three hundred, and then it's got all your standard polar patterns, but it's got like a, it's got a uh, wide cardioid as well, basically. So it's got your. Omni, wide cardioid, cardioid, hypercardioid, and then your figure eight. Because
2: the guy that owns Lewitt from memory used to be one of the designers or something at AKG. Uh Uh, Hence the reason that it looks kind of like an AKG, I guess. It's kind of inspired, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So there you go. The Lewitt, worth a try. In fact, I know the guy that distributes here. I must... um, We've been talking about Lewitt for a while. It's got
3: a really nice shock mount too. They made a really weird USB mic at one point that had a, its own box, like, sort of like a, imagine a USB mic with a proprietary box that's attached to the mic because they didn't want to put all the electronics inside the mic. It was a really strange mic. It didn't really make a lot of sense, but what Lewitt seems to do is they just like to take a mic that's, you know, take con- conventional designs and just do something a little different. Like you said, like the 840 with the blend and uh, the super low noise. They try to find little things to make them stand out. But it seems like their overall overreaching goal is to make a mic that's pretty uncolored. That's what Mm -hmm. I understand.
0: Yeah. It seems to be a more modern approach to a mic instead of like, we made this one every component the same as a
3: 67 from before you were born. Yes. They're not trying to emulate anybody. They're just trying to be a modern, low noise, Pretty flat condenser mic, from what I understand. And do you like it, Robert?
0: I do. I've used it. Um, I recorded my daughter's vocals on it the other day and turned out very nice. And uh, here I am on it, and it's an easy reach because you swing the boom over and lower it, and it goes from drum overhead function to podcast. Anyone got anything this week?
4: Yeah, I've got one. We, a couple of weeks ago on the last episode, we were talking about the 12 frames of silence in and out on Australian television standards and wondering, scratching our head, wondering why, I had a feeling that it had something to do with audio separation. We actually got an email from an old, old mate of ours, a a guy called Phil Lentz. I know Phil very well, yes. Now, Phil's a bit of an audio guru. He's been a radio jock in his time, does all sorts of bits and pieces. But he sent us a line and amongst other lovely things said... Uh, TV stations in the 1960s used to splice together the national ads using actual sticky tape, which were supplied on 16mm film to compile commercial breaks. On 16mm film, the studio track doesn't line up with the pictures. This is because the audio head can't physically be at the same spot as the film gate where the picture is projected. Therefore, if you spliced at the 32nd mark, you'd cut off the last bit of audio. It just seems to have continued on after video and now digital files came in. So there you go. There's your answer.
2: Wow. That's bizarre.
3: It's It's a physical thing. Standardized process that just stuck it's just' stuck. And we're just still, they're just still doing it because we're all they're all used to that and why change something that everybody's accustomed to
4: that's right someone's decided yeah. that
3: it's still a good idea
0: it persists in Japan and I think England and even here not not that it's a formal standard but I know that even some of the uh, editors that I've worked with some of the ones that have been Doing it since the 70s and 80s and whatnot, they would always, they were very religious about making sure that, you know, everything was at least a few frames off of the beginning of the spot. And more and more now people just, boom, they just crash in right away and go right up to the end because it's all digitally, you know, um, delivered and ins and outs are much more accurate. But uh, it was never a thing in the US by law. I know that. Or I, I believe it wasn't. Certainly not in my you know, time is shipping spots and whatnot. But it still persists, Japan,
4: Yeah, England. it's certainly a trap for young players here, as we discussed last time. You know, you, if you um, you try to send it in to get it on air and you haven't got that 12 frames top and tail, it comes back to you. Mm-hmm.
2: But I also used to like it when I, you know, because I grew up in the UK, so I watched a lot of UK TV, of course. And um, commercial breaks were, were well isolated from content, um, which is something that seems to have, on by the wayside, but I, I kind of gather that the UK has stuck to it, where there is like an obvious break between a program and a commercial break.
0: Yeah, right. And for some of those old systems, like like the cassette decks that had the music search feature, you know, you can do the commercial search feature in those countries. Yeah,
4: right. <laughs> <laughs> i <Wow>. your VHS. <laughs> I need to order a pizza and find me a Pizza Hut ad quickly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Search for <laughs> silence. Oh, I wow. remember doing uh, uh. My, my, the first television show I did. Um, it used to take for a fit. I think we used to run the show. It used to go for about an hour, maybe an hour or 20. Um, we used to record on a, on a Saturday afternoon, and it would take hours because every, every time I made a mistake, we'd go back to the beginning and start all over again. There was no editing. It was like it was all live record. So rolling tape, rolling tapes in and out, and you know, and live hosting. Wow! Wow! Let's not do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God for the digital age. Can I just say?
4: Imagine doing this podcast like that. Jesus, we'd never be finished. We'd still be going on episode one.
2: We are. (laughs) (laughs) Tape casts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, George, you were talking about some new headphones that you've discovered?
3: Yeah, there's these, um, you know, I hate, sometimes I I don't like to talk about things I haven't tried yet, but you know, it's, I do like to see, these things do come across my uh, feed thanks to like Facebook and Google knowing everything that I like. They send me ads for stuff on a regular basis for things that they think that I would like and sure enough, sometimes they do, they kind of nail it when they send something unusual or unique and this, One pair of headphones, which I'm a kind of a headphone nut, kind of a headphone addict. We'll do a big headphone, We should do a headphone episode sometime. Um, But these called are called Nura Sound Nura Phones, which is N U R A Phones. And what makes these headphones really unique is a couple of things. One, they um, automatically through their own internal onboard DSP. tune themselves to your hearing. So they will be dead on accurate. If so, if you have a big dip at 4k, you know, 12 dB or something, um, these headphones will compensate for you. And apparently it does it quite well. Um, they will become extremely accurate. And, um, they're these are consumer-facing. They're really, I think, intentional intentionally designed to be primarily a USB, I'm sorry, a um a Bluetooth headphone. The good news is that the Bluetooth standard uh they use on these, which I really know and love, is APT, uh the APTX codec, which if you if you are gonna buy USB headphones, make sure they have the APTX. Kodak standard. I'm wearing a pair of Sennheiser uh, 4.5 something or others um, that do have the, H, the that Kodak standard. So when you listen to a, a source on Bluetooth it's not using the standard Bluetooth encoding profile which is pretty egregious to the sound quality which is why people tend to and anybody that loves audio tends to completely avoid Bluetooth But if you use headphones with APTX and your source has APTX, your device, your cell phone, whatever, like my LG V20 has, the audio quality is remarkably good. It's really, really hard to distinguish between wired and Bluetooth. So it's primarily Bluetooth, but it also has corded options. It'll plug in via lightning cable, digital. It'll plug in via analog. It pretty much will handle just about any input. Um, But And the other thing that's unique about them is their actual design. They are in-ear and circumoral. So imagine a standard-looking pair of headphones with an ear cup that goes around your ear, and then from the center of the ear cup is this probe that sticks out that goes into the inner ear. Also, um, which is really odd looking, um, but apparently once you get them fit right, they seal out the outside world extremely well. Extremely well. They're very well isolated and just dead on accurate. Um, So at $400 US, some hesitant to buy them to play with them. But, uh, you know, I'd like to get one in to test out at some point. I use headphones extensively personally for my personal use and for my engineering use. So, um, to say I have headphones that are tuned to my hearing would be pretty cool. It'd be a nice little thing for people to know that I'm hearing things that are accurate. But I guess at the end of the day, based on that orotone thing, how important is accuracy when it comes to monitors? Yes. What you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. It's what you know. I I have some questions, though. How is the tuning done? I mean, I I would imagine for it to really be accurate, it would have to do some sort of interactive process where it basically gives you a hearing exam in the the process to create a graph of what your current, you know... Yeah, like hearing thresholds are. Log onto a website and listen to
4: these
2: tones and tell us what you hear and how loud and
3: surely stuff like that. Yeah, it does something like that.
2: There's another headphone someone told me about the other day that actually does... Work out your the the shape of your ear, and then uh, works out the um, the sound based on that. Really, wow! Who was telling? Someone told me about that a couple of days ago. Yeah, that's
4: part of it. Yeah. But surely that would change. I mean, I can imagine the shape of Brian Johnson's
0: ear from AC/DC probably doesn't reflect his hearing range, considering well, the trouble he's had. Right, it's it's you have to include the questionnaire where it says how many Who concerts did you go to? Yeah, that's right. How I, old are you? Yeah.
4: How sta- how close did you stand to the speaker stack at your last Acadaca gig?
0: <laughs> right. How does the Bluetooth standard for APT work? Because do you have to have a transmitter and the headphones or the receiver, or is this somehow baked into the Bluetooth standard to use the the APT codec. Have they given away that codec on all the encoding
3: sides? They've uh, baked it into the Bluetooth. So if you have Bluetooth, I think it is 4.0 standard uh, st- uh, support in your hardware. Um, the APT codec is now baked into that.
0: That's so interesting.
3: So, um, yeah, so the sound quality is phenomenal. We
0: used to have
3: APT in Source Connect and we took it out. Before we move on, from the, from the, uh, the neurosound. sound. Um, I found this section on their site, which explains how it works. It's just a couple of short paragraphs. It's really pretty dang fascinating, if, if you would indulge me. Um, the Neurophone plays a range of tones into the ear and then measures a very faint sound that your ear generates in response to these tones called the autoacoustic emission, or O-A-E. This tiny signal, it says, originates in the cochlea and vibrates the eardrum, turning it into a speaker and playing sound back out of your ear. Yes, our ears make the sound. The sound is about 10,000 times smaller than the sound that went in. Encoded in the returning sound wave is information about how well you heard the sound that went in. The neurophone, the neurophone, I should say, uses an extremely sensitive microphone to detect this returning sound wave, and a self-learning engine built into the neurophone to create your profile. No buttons or knobs; it all happens automatically in about sixty seconds. Wow! Is That's that amazing. Fascinating. That is amazing. Well, so, so, wow. so,
0: our hearing loss is imprinted into our acoustic yeah. admission, or what's it called? The OAE, the
3: auto acoustic emission auto i should say is spelled o-t-o acoustic auto auto acoustic not a-u-t-o auto. what
4: is it transmission i'm writing that down that'll make me sound really smart at the next dinner party i'm at (laughs) yeah
3: (laughs) yes i believe this was a kickstarter and i thought it was i thought it was vaporware for quite a while as kickstarter products tend to be but this thing is now for real and you can order it so uh if anybody's looking for a present for this coming holiday seasoning, uh, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but uh, the, so they act like a hearing
0: aid, basically boosting the sound. Mm, put I a, so, put a microphone out there. Hearing. Yeah. Put a microphone out there, and it's a hearing aid, at least the amplification yeah. type, not the cochlear
3: implant. No, these are like, these are stylish uh, beats killing hearing aids.
4: <laughs> like You, you know what would be really interesting? If you could put the headphones on and do that and set them up and then print out the adjustments that it's made and actually see the deficits in your hearing, that would be pretty cool too, wouldn't it?
0: Uh,
2: or frightening. Cool. Yeah. yeah, probably frightening. Yeah. The frightening word. indeed. I don't, want, I don't really want to know. Yeah, true. Now, talking of monitoring, we should uh, get to our interview, which is the guy who uses the orotones. His name is Simon Murphy. And uh, he owns a studio here in Melbourne called South Melbourne Recorders. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Simon's better known as King Oratone around
4: here. <laughs> yes, oh, <wow>. that's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Oratone. In fact, you've got probably one of the rarest pair of Oritones uh, because I've only ever seen, I've never seen any apart from yours. I actually don't know where they've come from
1: and I've never seen them anywhere else either. So I don't quite know the history of them at all. It's the same so size speaker as a normal Oritone, but the box is probably uh, twice as big lengthwise. As yeah. in deep, is that what you mean? Deeper. No, no, it's in height. So they're oh. not square. Oh, they're so rectangular. They're, yeah, they're rectangular, but the speaker's the same size and I've never been able to find anything on them at all. So I, it's got the Oritone sticker on them, but I have always wondered whether someone's just knocked these things together.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like someone's rebuilt them.
1: Yeah. So they're, they're, they were, they're in, the, uh, in the booth that, and they're actually not used at all. They're just on the wall at the moment, but uh, they were inherited.
4: Oh, so they were in the room when you bought the place.
1: I've been here for 20 years. Yep. SMR has been around since 76. Uh, I bought it with my partners from the older owner just over 10 years ago now. Uh, and they've just,
2: they've just always been there. We should put it on gear sluts. Take a photo and stick it on gear sluts and see what sort see, of response. See whether you get. anyone can track down what they are.
4: Take a photo and, and send it to us too, because we'll stick it up in the show notes for everyone to have a look at.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right, I will because they are really quite. I'd never seen anything like it before. We've all seen yeah. Oratones because they're just about everywhere in the eighties.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. they've got the they've still got that wonderful Oratone uh, laminate
2: wood effect going
1: on. <laughs>
2: yep, <laughs>
1: That always used that, to
4: start to peel.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
4: yeah. Depends how many cool. lines of cocaine you rack up on them, I suppose.
2: It definitely is the 80s then. It was. Saw, it definitely
4: <laughs> <Yes. is. laughs>
2: now, talking orotones, you uh, yes. do monitor through orotones when you're doing voiceovers. Do you yeah. use them for anything else?
1: Generally not. I use them for reference. I mean, when I started here, we had, it was before I had a say in what went in the booth, in, 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 the, in the mixing studio, uh, we had those and built into the walls again what i found out later were a pair of uh, some tannoys some horrible speakers uh, so that was the choice i had to mix on really and i just got used to mixing on them and then knowing what it sounded like on everything else so i'm i'm used to the sound of them i mean i've i've now got a pair of event 2030s in the studio
2: as well i do use the events a lot more now than the artones it's funny with monitors. That I always hear the discussion, especially with um, engineers who record music, with the uh, classic NS10, thanks to Bob Um yep. the, the common uh, thing I hear said is that if the guitar sound is just awful, you know it's actually <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so what do you listen for with the oratones?
1: I kind of knew that when it was starting to sound a bit shit, uh, when I had it sounding shit, what I needed it to sound like. Does that kind of make it sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's sort of you you got used to it and you knew what it had to sound like somewhere else and you were just adjusting to go, all right, well, that sounds a bit ordinary, but I know that when I go and play it somewhere else, this is going to be okay. Yeah. Weirdly, they do show out little, even though probably the frequency response to them isn't that great, it still does show out, you know, little... Glitches and pops as things are going through as well from mouth noises and things. Not the super high end, but it does kind of emphasize those things a little bit as well.
4: Mm. Oh, I was I was actually going to ask you the question with it not having it sort of a, such a low bass response. Would you miss little pops and?
1: and oh, you do. You like like do it. miss plosives, well and truly. Yeah, they they just disappear. And we had well, obviously we had the other speakers here as well in the walls, but um, I mean now the the twenty thirty cover all that off well yeah, and truly. Um, so I generally probably use those a lot more now and use the Oratones as a bit of a reference as to if it's going to play on a shitty speaker somewhere, mm. this is going to sound okay, mm. which is probably what their original
2: design was for. Now talking about plosives, here's a question for you. If for by chance you end up getting a file of a voice and it's full of plosives, how yep. do you fix it without rereading it? Uh, RX is my savior.
4: Yes, I was <laughs> going to say that's the reach, that's the go to.
1: <laughs> that is, yeah, RX will take that out enough to not have to worry about it at all. I don't
2: even know what RX is, but I'm. Isotope plugin.
1: Yeah, Isotope RX is basically it can take out your plosives, noise reduction. Basically, once it's recorded, if you need to fix it, if RX can't do it, you can't fix it.
2: Wow.
4: In the good old days before RX, but in digital days, you could, uh, well, in Pro Tools, I'm talking, uh, highlight the section and, uh, and basically just cut out a shitload of bottom end, would sometimes fix yep. it. In worst case scenario, you would have to go and find that same syllable somewhere else, hopefully in the read that you hopefully had somewhere or even in an outtake uh, and cut and replace was another one that I used to do occasionally. Um, yep. Which is a lot more time-consuming, and when, when you've got a client sitting there paying three hundred dollars an hour to make his TV commercial, they don't get particularly happy about that. But um, but you know you've got to fix it. You've got to fix it. So um so yeah so there's a couple of ways, but um, these days uh, Simon's exactly right. Um,
2: RX is the go-to. Talking about your studio, Simon, I know it well. Yep. Yep. Without without any names, what has been the worst experience you've had in a session? Oh, have you had a tantrum in there? Have you had? Tanty I haven't
1: talent. had a. Uh, I haven't had a tantrum of talent. I've had tantrums of clients, but that's not outside. Of, not directed at me, but just that's that's not outside of normal. Uh, I've had clients say things to talent, and one in particular that I was kind of like, uh, and my direct client and I, as we heard him say it, sat back and went, "This is." Gonna not go well uh, <laughs> when he said to the talent, You've definitely got a face for radio. Oh, <laughs> as he walked out of the booth, thankfully, after the recording. Um, and uh, to this person's credit, in the past, I think would have gone off his nut, uh, just turned around and said, I'll take that in the jest that it was meant. But (laughs) nice. Wow. uh, I have heard previous examples of this person. Uh, That would not have been the response a a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) I've got a Uh, funny thing. I know who this is.
1: Probably. Yeah, well, you you would know the person, yes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So I've had that. Uh, I haven't had anyone walk out, thankfully. Generally, it's all okay. I mean, a lot of our, a lot of my work's retail. We actually don't end up having a lot of different people through. It's the same people all the time because it's you know we're churning out Coles commercials and things like that. That is just right. We need to do that this this week and get it out there.
2: Yeah. What's the most? This is because I know being working on the other side of the glass that sometimes there's a client in there, and they their direction is basically all over the joint. Yep. And I often find the then the onus falls onto the uh, person like yourself uh, then to try and then sort of manage the situation to make sure the pull, information is going. Pull it back going. into
1: line. Yeah.
2: How difficult um, do you find that?
1: Oh, it can be, depending on the person, the client. Um, you just kind of try and sneak in some subtle suggestions here or there. Um, sometimes you've got clients that, That's what they want to do, and they want to do it their way. And it just—you can tell the session's just going south, and you can't do anything about it because they want it a certain way, and they're not getting what they want. Generally, I know with those ones, you everyone leaves after the session, and it's you re-recording it with someone else because they think they can't get what they want. Um, But most people, you can just give subtle suggestions of why don't we try this, and you can get it to work. But you, it's just trying to be subtle and offer another alternative. Being it's all about being Switzerland, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I mean, a lot of a lot of the stuff we do now as well is we don't have a client in the room. Uh, we we're, we're doing it over the phone. <laughs> they don't want to come to the studio, so it's yeah, right. great. Well, you record it. You think, all right, well, we think we've got what we want, but they don't want to stay on the phone either to listen to it as you're doing it. So you're then having to ring them, play it, is this what you want? No, no, I like this. And, I mean, it's great. It extends our sessions, but uh, sometimes it's (laughs) extremely frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
4: we tried to ring you for an hour and all we got was voicemail. I'm sorry. Fucking don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think I've sat with you. I've sat with you, Simon, when we've actually done that. Yeah, right. Yeah.
4: Do you reckon that's the way it's going, Simon? We have that conversation a lot here in the studio, and I suppose uh, considering that I've invested a large amount of money building a studio in my house um, because I thought I saw that was the way that audio would probably go. Do you see that sort of starting to happen more and more now? Clients going, well, you know, can I just phone it in?
1: Yeah, like a lot of a lot of the stuff is um, definitely phoned in. There's the odd the odd clients that still like to come down, and it's it tends to be. If someone wants to come down, it's because their client wants to come to the session. Right. So, you know, then you end up with 20 people in the room and they all want to have a say and yeah. that. And they all want to have a conversation while you're trying to record voiceover and you can't hear oh, a word yeah. the
4: voiceover saying,
1: yeah, Being there, done exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a whole issue in itself. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot more is just done where we have talent in. I mean, a lot of it as well is sometimes just done, I get a file. Uh, and we and away we go and chop it up. I've got I've got one particular client that the agency doesn't even get involved in the voice recordings. We just get provided with the audio, and you have no control over quality. And it's not always great, but they are happy with it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So is that coming from an
4: online voice agency, or is that a, a voiceover artist who's just plonked a microphone in the middle of their room? Or
1: where's no, that coming it's from? it's a voiceover artist. Um, and then but that that just gets provided to the agency. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just bad. There's just no quality control over
2: sure. what you're going to get or where they are when they do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so are they recording from, from their home or are they recording from all over the place? Different locations,
1: yeah. They've got a home studio or they
2: uh,
1: record in their workplace and things like that. So it's, right. yeah.
2: Oh, God. Okay. So so there's no consistency. That's the, the issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: There's every every job. I mean, there's consistency on that one job, but across the whole lot, there's not. And you've just got to do the best you can with what you get for that job. So if it's truly terrible, can you say, look, we can't rescue this? Or is, like, has it got that uh, bad? I have had some where I've kind of gone, I can't do much with this. And... Sometimes they've had, they've had it redone. Other times it's like, no, no, we're happy with that. Which which I find more and more people are probably not as fussy about how things sound. Yeah. Sometimes. It depends. It completely depends on the client. But some people just go, no, that sounds okay to me. That's fine. You've opened a can of worms, and I
4: probably wasn't going to go here in this interview, but you've opened a can of worms now, so let's, let's start eating. Um, we've had the discussion on the show plenty of times. I'd be interested in your input as to... Where you think uh, the quality of audio is going inside agency and clients' heads in terms of as long as the picture looks good, it doesn't really matter what it sounds like.
1: I think depends on the agency. Uh, I know there are quite a few around that are putting in their own booths, mm. so depending on how they do that, how well that will sound, and then yes. it depends on who runs it yeah. as to how that will sound. Yeah. Um, but. I think still, because a lot of our work is with probably the major, more the bigger agencies, they they still have a care on how it sounds, but the smaller you get sometimes, it's like, well, that's what we've got, so that's what we're going to do. Do you think that's a budgetary thing with the
4: smaller agencies? Like, uh, So many times I've heard from people who I work with, look, we want to get some audio done, but we just don't have a budget. You know what can you do, or the good old, um, hey look, we've got nothing this time, but next time around we'll sling you some extra. Uh, yeah, there's never any just, extra. There's never any extra, and that that was going to be <laughs> my next point. But um, do you do you think that maybe that's true? Do you think maybe it's a budgetary thing these days? It's it's sort of like well we we'd rather spend more money on graphics and effects and and video effects and all that sort of stuff than we would on getting a decent audio mix.
1: Sometimes, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're here. We're not at the high end of. Probably audio studios, we're in the middle, but mm. um, you you do get asked to quote on things, and then you just never hear again. Yeah. it's like, well, what was I too much? Were we not in the ballpark? And even when it is, when they say we've got no budget, it's like, well, even when you try and compete on no budget, sometimes you just go, we can't work for that. That's right. So at that level, it's sort of we bail out. Yeah, where, where did it end up? Where did they take it?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
4: And, and what did it sound like? Yes, that's right. Exactly. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I have the same conversations on a number of occasions. I, I have one producer that I work for that has his own clients and there are times that he brings me jobs that actually pay quite nicely and there are other times that he comes to me and he sort of goes, well... I don't know if you can do it for this, if you can't tell me, but this is what I've got to spend. And so we sort of have a conversation and we either go, well, yeah, I can do it for that rate, but we've got to cut corners here, here and here. Or you just go, well, I actually can't do it for that at
1: all. Yeah. I mean, we have job. We have had jobs where we've just said, no, we can't do it. Mm. This is what we can do it for. And they either then have to work out whether they can spend more or they've got to find somewhere else to do it. Yeah. Yeah, you do end up with that line where you can't do it. Yeah, it's just not worth your while. I've got a family to yeah. feed.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is this a is this the conversation you would have had
1: twenty years ago? Probably not as frequently. There's always probably been the odd one or two, but it's become more common. Definitely. Of you know, budgets have seemed to shrink. Mm. Um, and I think probably sound shrinks before video. Um, I mean we're we're in a, probably a little bit of a beneficial position. We've got video studios and audio studios. Within the business. So, probably the videos always to a degree helped prop up the video side, the audio side a little bit because yeah. the work feeds between the two. Yeah. Uh, as sad as it is, there's a lot more money in video than there is in audio, I think. So, yeah. it, props it up a little bit. So as a as a
4: business owner having a both yep. video and providing both video and audio studios, if someone comes to me with a job where they're doing both, where they're cutting vision with you and also doing audio, does that give you a little room to wiggle on your audio? Must do, surely.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, cuz you can provide a combined quote and this is this mm. is what the job is, so we mm. can then do that and it's very easy to chop and change something quickly as well. So, you know, if if one of the editors changes an edit moves a word you you just get buzzed on the phone and it's like just shunt this two frames and then you can hit export again um, so all those those little things get faster
2: what do you reckon look if in an ideal world um, how would you like to see uh, the business working for you um the way we're structured now works very well
1: I, I mean I ideally I'd love someone directing most sessions rather than be left to here's what you need to do, sometimes not much of a brief, guessing and then being told after you've spent, you know, 20 minutes getting in a ballpark, no, 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 that's not what we want. We want this. So, you know, it's <laughs> probably going a little bit back to the old days of you've got someone there to tell you that has written or whatever knows the ad to direct what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've become engineers slash directors slash producers sometimes. For half the hourly rate than we used to get paid. <laughs> well, I was gonna, our hourly rate has not changed in the 20 years that yeah, I right. have been here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's what it is. I mean, we're still here and we're still making money, but it's, that's that kind of thing of, yeah, it's not gone up. No. Thankfully, it's not gone down. It's funny you should say that either in that sort of
4: Awkward in between time of leaving a full time job and sort of opening my own project studio, let's call it, uh, thirteen years ago or have a long long ago that was. I I did three or four years of freelance work and um, the going rate back then was fifty dollars an hour. And I I bumped into a um, a guy who I'd worked with a long time ago who's actually still out there freelancing and sort of said, Look, just out of interest, what's the sort of going freelance rate? And he goes, oh, about fifty bucks, <laughs> fifty bucks yes. an hour. Like, yeah, right, yeah, <sighs> it just doesn't yeah. change. A rock
2: no. no. Now this is a, this is a, a question that's uh, laced with probably poison. But um, how, what's your feeling about people like myself who uh, are set up at home? Does that um, does that annoy you?
1: No, I don't have an issue with that. Um, generally, it hasn't really affected the work that we get. And for our work, yes, we might miss out on the recording side of it potentially. But usually, where you still get. The, some of the work from it you've still got to mix it um, we haven't had anywhere it's been done remotely and then you, it all just disappears and you don't see it um, you still end up getting a file to edit and mix and work with and you know there's there's people that we we do use remotely and say all right can we have this and you just get it and it's done quickly uh, the issue sometimes is you, you're not quite sure what you're going to get, particularly if you haven't worked with someone remotely before.
2: There's a lot of variation in how people have set themselves up. Yeah, there has to be some... Uh, to me, there should be some kind of a... a you know, I don't know how you would do it, but some kind of a standard that you um, everyone works to. I mean, I talked to uh, George, who's part of this show, and uh, we talked about him actually certifying, having a George Whittam, George the Tech certification.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I will, if someone says, if if we're told we want to record this remotely, I always want to hear what I'm going to get first, just to get a little bit of a guarantee that it's going to be workable enough. How low do you go when it comes to accepting audio? Oh, it depends on the job. Um, I've had some stuff where you've just, you have to accept it because you've got to make it work. Um, I've had, stuff where people have recorded overseas on portable gear in rooms that are fully tiled and it's like right sh- shove yourself in the wa- shove yourself in the wardrobe put all the pillows and blankets in the wardrobe throw throw a blanket over the back of your head and you just do the best you can with what they can do and 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 it's hard because a lot of a voice talent have to then learn to get technical about stuff that they don't know I know I've spent I've spent a bit of time with a few people just trying to get them up to speed to just do enough to get me something. Um, even and before they've gone away, if they just you know oh, I've gone and bought this,
2: it's like okay, that's what we've got to work with. This is how we're going to get the best we can out of it. That's a good idea. I mean, ha- having someone like you, you know, if, if I'm working with you and you, and I'm like I'm going to be going away in a hotel for a month. Uh, what do I need? what do I need to to do to take with me
1: well i mean sometimes sometimes it hasn't been what what do I need it's been this is what I've got <laughs> oh okay, uh, <laughs> and it's then been all right, well, this is what we can do with what you've got to get the best we can um and we've always we've always got it and pulled it off, and it's been okay but you know, I can then sit
2: there in here and go, oh, it's just not quite as good as we would normally like to put out. Yeah, it's tricky. I must admit, you know, it is very difficult when you're on the road trying to record. Um, the last time I was away, there was a, a fridge that was the size of a truck in the uh, the apartment I was renting. And so I had to, because I couldn't get to the plug, it was behind the fridge and the fridge weighed, you know, a couple of tonne probably. So, I, you know, you try and record in the room, but you had to wait for the fridge condenser to stop and then just go for it before it kicked in again.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had one recently actually where we needed to change a price on something. There was no way we were going to get the talent back here or get them to where they could do anything. So I had them recorded into their iPhone and send me the file and I used as little of it as possible and it was masked by the music and was okay enough because because it just had to go. But the ear
4: misses it too. Sometimes, if you the sm- like you say the smaller, you need to take the sh- smallest shaving you possibly can. But yeah. I've also heard it work on a cold voice spot too, because it's so
1: small that the ear just misses it. We've replaced half words with people from here because we can't get the person and just matched in as close as we can. And it's the same. It is once you get a tiny piece in there, you'll always hear it. You play it to someone else cold and they go, what What was wrong with that? That's right, yeah. So it's, yeah, sometimes you sometimes you just have to do what you can do to get the job done because it, it's got to go, particularly with a lot of our retail work is you might get a brief in the morning and the ad's got to go to TV by the afternoon. We just don't have the long lead times with with retail that we'd like to have. I was going to say, it sounds like ra- uh, retail is a lot like radio. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Oh, we've got we've we've got an ad on here uh, this afternoon. But can you edit the ad, do the audio, and get it to stations within the day? And it's like yeah. well, yes. You need to get all your stuff together now because we've got to start now. That's right. Otherwise, it won't happen. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The miracle workers. That's what we are, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
4: So looking down the track, you've been there 10 years, well, you've owned the studio for 10 years. Look ahead another 10 yep. years and tell us what your business looks like now.
1: Uh, oh, I Honestly, I don't know. It's kind of, I hope we're still doing the work that we're doing but have evolved a little bit into the newer markets of, you know, online and all that kind of stuff where, um, again, that's another place where budgets get smaller um, you know we get asked to do, Oh, we need to do a youtube pre roll great well this is here 's the quote, oh, but it 's only for online. Well, it still costs the same amount to edit and produce, but that 's the the tricky part of all this stuff that online is that it doesn 't cost someone as much to put it out there, so they don 't think it should cost as much to produce, but potentially someone 's still got to shoot it someone 's still got to pay the talent um we 've still got to edit it and pay the engineer. I've still got to record or mix whatever comes through and it still costs the money that people don't seem to want to pay for online material. To me, that's a point where studios of our size tend to start to lose out to sometimes a video editor that might sit in a room by themselves and then mix it themselves and you don't always have the control over that and and how it's going to sound. But sometimes the clients go, well, that's okay because it cost me half as much.
4: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I see that a lot and, and well, I, I'm starting, well, I shouldn't say that I see it a lot. I, I see it more and more that video editors are actually becoming slash audio engineer and, you know, you you only got to look
1: on LinkedIn and you sort of start to see that
4: happening. But it interesting.
1: Well, so go on. Sorry, go on. No, you go. Uh, I was going to say I had it this morning. I had a, um, a job that we didn't edit. Uh, we were provided an OMF file And the pictures and it had to go out today and can you madly mix this? We need to make it compliant. And I loaded the file in and the first thing I saw was audio within the first 12 frames. And I went, I rang them up and said, I can't, (laughs) you can't do this. Uh, Australian rules are 12 frames of silence, top and tail. Oh, okay. Can you fix it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and again, you you fudge it because they've got to get it out and you you do the best you can with it and they're happy and away they go. But I bet the next time it comes back in, it'll still have sound in the first 12 frames of silence. We <laughs> were only talking about this in the last episode. I had um,
4: I talking to a guy who had six episodes of a, a little TV thing, 47-minute episodes that he wanted mixed and uh, we were talking about it and a bit like you, you know, did the quote and we had a couple of chats afterwards and, you know, can you do any better? And I sort of went in and I did the best I could, sort of took out most of the margin and all that sort of stuff. And anyway, long story short, job never sort of landed on my desk until uh, I got this on a Tuesday afternoon, I'll never forget, I get this manic phone call from this guy. May I just, that job we were talking about, I had it mixed by a guy in New Zealand who edited it as well. And he sent me it all over, and I've just uploaded it all, and it's all been rejected because video reasons and audio reasons and blah, blah, blah. Can you help me out? <laughs> So long story short, I ended up spending from that Tuesday, uh, sorry, from that Wednesday through till uh, the Sunday night, the following Sunday night, madly remixing these six
1: episodes. And costs them more in the end. Mm, that's right. But they don't think about that. No. Well, this
4: has been a worthwhile chat.
1: It yeah. has indeed. I felt, like I've, I felt like I've whinged a bit about the cost of, uh, the, the cost reducing and work reducing, but... <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, look, I, 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 I don't think that's. I don't think you're alone there.
1: I, um, yeah. I,
4: I've got a mate of mine uh, who I was only speaking to a couple of weeks ago. Who, when I first left radio and went into agency land, was my boss at uh, at George Pats, and he's sort of since then moved on and, and sort of you know um, built a couple of studios for other people and, and done a lot of work and and now about three years ago built his own place. Uh, in North Sydney, but he's got contacts coming out. He's Wazoo, but, you know, they're even big shot clients, you know, are sort of starting to say, look, you know, we just haven't got the budgets that we used to have. So, you know, I I think it's the top down. I don't think it's just the middle being you and sort of me probably even lower down the pecking order, having a home studio. I I, I think it's across the board, mate. I don't think it's just us. Yeah. So yeah, I think the days of, uh, you know, the long lunch and $350 an hour, in the recording studio to do the, the soundtrack for our next Nike commercial. I'm sure they'll always be there, but I, I think well, there's it's fewer and fewer. Yeah, that's right. It's going to the, the amount of times that that happens is going to get less and less. I, I remember when I was at George Pat's, um, one of the other clients we had was, uh, a new magazine that was coming out for called take five magazine. They, uh, they had to record or they had to, they had to make the TV commercial, which had all been shot on location and, um, but the voiceover tag had to say, Take 5 Magazine, out now. Uh, but I got a phone call from this external recording studio after, after these creatives had left saying, just so you know, uh, we spent three hours with ex-voiceover talent in the voice booth recording the voiceover tag. <laughs> and finally his, his parting words were, I think you've got enough now. I'm leaving. <laughs> 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 So, uh, so yeah, so if you want to talk about the days of excess, three and a half hours to record a, what's that five word voiceover tag, that's pretty yep. excessive. I don't know about you, Simon, but I normally find most of the time when you see, I mean, I've never sat through a three and a half hour session like that, to be fair, but you know, most of the time when you have one of those nightmare sessions, it's usually in the first 15, 12, 15 takes that you end up going back to anyway.
1: Yeah. a there is a lot of that. It's like, if it's going to be right with that person, you'll get it right reasonably quickly. Um, and then it's usually down to the person directing not knowing what they want.
4: Yes, or, or yeah, that's right. Let's try this, let's try this,
1: yeah. And or I knowing make how them. to direct what they want. <laughs> that's yeah.
4: interesting, isn't it? Directing is really a, a,
1: a skill that is not easily learned. No, and I think it's probably being lost a little bit too because mm, agreed. people don't come to sessions anymore mm-hmm. and it used to probably be that the creatives came to sessions and the junior creatives probably came along with them, so therefore they learnt from watching other people work and direct, whereas it doesn't happen anymore. So if, if they ever get a chance to come to a session, they actually don't know how to direct what they want.
4: Yeah, just be, uh, we were going to let you go and I'm respectful of your time, but just one more quick question since you've sort of headed down that off ramp. Um, in terms of casting, staying in that vein of what we're talking about, I, I've always found too that, and especially these days where the American model of Um, you know, auditioning a job is becoming more and more common, especially with these online voiceover agencies. Do you think that that's another skill that's sort of being lost is that ability to listen to someone's demo, but then read the script and in your head, hear that voice?
1: Probably not so much asking to demo for jobs, Mm. but definitely not being able to hear past what they hear on the demo of what will be their ad. And then, and probably just rejecting someone because it's like, oh, well, no, he doesn't sound like what I want or she's not the person I want. And it's like, well, hang on, they can do more than the demo. A demo is only a demo. Yeah, to yeah if he dropped his, dropped his projection
4: and, and sort of, you know, had a bit more empathy in the read, then all of a sudden it could go from, you know, this retail spot could sound like just the voice that, you know, I need for my, you know, community service yeah. announcement about dead puppies or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> nice I mean, choice. Uh, uh,
4: yeah. Well, I was trying to go for it. I think mine's dead. I was trying to go for
1: But can you talk about, well, the biggest thing from that would be, but can you talk about dead puppies conversationally? True. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think Everything AP just did. Is conversational. Can we? Can we have a
2: retail ad but make it conversational? Yeah. Can you be the voice of God but sound like the guy next door? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
4: What's the old classic? A little more purple. A little more pink yes. than purple would be good. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brown. Yeah, that was um,
4: brown. Well, mate, uh, thanks very much for your time. I, I hope that uh, in 10 years' time, we can uh, jump online and have the same conversation and hear about where your business is then. See if it's uh, kept up with your expectations.
1: Well, hopefully, it's. Ho- well, starters, hopefully, we're still here. Uh, and um, yeah, that. Things are still moving along nicely. I'm sure they will be. I mean, you know, yeah. at the end of the
4: day, the content is always going to be well. Content's only becoming more and more demanded. I guess we just yes. you know, we've got to find a way to uh, to uh, to make ourselves uh, sort of fit in with that model. I guess without um, without dropping our pants and doing it for nothing.
2: Yeah, but quality is always going to be quality. And
4: you I know. think it, yeah, I think it will come back around. I'm I'm you know I've I've got a feeling that. You know, we're getting close to hitting rock bottom. Surely, I think we hit it.
2: Yeah, uh, with the with the iPod and buds, we hit the rock bottom, <laughs> and uh, and it's really funny now because people are buying hi fi's again, and they're buying records yeah. again. You know, yeah. yeah, and listening to music again. So, um,
4: well, I read the other day that cassettes are making a comeback.
2: All right, so we have hit, haven't we? Really? It
4: was something, uh, the, there's some, I can't remember now the full story, but there's some factory in Germany that basically was one of the last to be making cassettes, and all of a sudden production's gone back through the roof again.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, I as long do. as I don't have to go back to the day of careering tape, cassette tapes around town for oh, people to listen yeah, to. Yeah, remember that? Wasn't that fun? Oh, yeah.
4: Well, that was good, mate. Thank you. And oh, no also, worries, patio thank you. doors.
2: Patio doors. Patio doors. Or the patio yes. doors. The first patio doors I saw in a studio was at SMR. The pair the in front of me. Yep. <laughs> and go. they work a treat. Yeah. I,
1: They're good. I've, I've often com- contemplated if we ever had to reconstruct the studio, I know how I'd do it and it's like it is here. I still go to Cleminger
4: occasionally on a freelance basis and they've got double sliding doors. Works the charm.
2: Yeah. Beautiful. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to open mine and go and have a cup of tea.
4: And get some fresh air in the booth by the sounds <laughs> yeah, of it. You
2: haven't got the no, dog I'm, in there, have you? Um, no, he's not in the booth. I'm dreading opening the door, I can tell you now. It's going to be, it's going to be like the psalm out there. In fact... Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. There it goes. There's a green
4: haze. I <laughs> oh, light a match. It's winter. It'll keep you warm. I <laughs> yeah, dare not light a match.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you um, hear the explosion from there. So there we go. That's Simon Murphy, the man with the unusual mm. Um But after that interview, we did a bit of research, and yeah. Robert, private detective Robert, <laughs> detective Robert, got the magnifying glass out and the deer stalker and Absolutely. found them. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah they're, a, they're a increased bass version of the standard Oratone.
2: The 5S.
4: The 5S, right. 5S. They can't yeah. be too much increased bass. I mean, I'm sure they would be considering the bigger
0: size, but... Bigger box, it's not ported. It didn't look like there's any porting, no. so it's just a little... I mean, it'd be interesting to know how much more, but certainly in theory the bigger box does give you more bass resonance. And mm. Well, the box is twice the size of a standard... A tone. Right. Twice the bass. Twice the bass. <laughs> <laughs> a, a <laughs> to the bass. From none to none. <laughs> yeah. Twice the bass times zero. Or, from fuck
2: all to piss all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's right. But they are quite unique. The so, first time I saw them, it's like, what the hell are they? And, um, and Simon had no idea either. But they'd been there from when the studio was pretty new. I, they probably went in very early 80s. Um, because that studio, as he said, was built back in the 70s and um, he's been there 20 years and they were certainly well and truly nailed to the wall then and um, based on how old Oratones are and they were so big in the 80s that we're kind of thinking they would be very early 80s.
4: Mm. I think the good take out from that interview though is, and especially talking about him having to mix to those oratones is, you know, that you, if if you don't have the money to afford the perfect set of speakers, as long as you understand what you're hearing, you can mix to
0: anything, right? As long as it's there. Right. Like I would, I would counter that with only that the, the one thing about the oratones are that you are truly not hearing a lot of the very top end and the very, very low end. But as long mm. as you have a system that's giving you, Most of what at least you're able to hear, Mm. then you've got the information, and then it's up to you to sort of internalize it and remember what things are supposed to sound like. I know that, you know, for me going into a studio, I often. Actually, i often use Ziggy Stardust as an album if I'm not familiar with a room and a pair of speakers, and I'll just listen to that because I've listened to that album so much. I have a good feeling for what it should sound like using that. Mm. But um, another another pair of speakers, actually, that is kind of popular, at least here in the States... George, you might know about these. Do you remember the Minimus Sevens or the Minimus Fives? I think too.
3: Oh, well, Minimus was like a Radio Shack house brand.
0: Yeah, so they were basically a rip on the Boston Acoustic speaker. So they're a little four-inch driver about the size of a Oritone, and then a tweeter. Ah, there's the tweeter, and they were ported. At least later models were ported. And man, I got a pair of those when I was in high school for fifty dollars, and that was like my first pair of speakers that. You know, like gave me enough info that I could actually really mix off of before then I only had like the speakers in my boom box. <laughs> so um, Oh boy. Yeah.
3: yeah. I I often think of when I think of Arotone, I also think of uh Bose eight oh ones. Do
0: you remember mm-hmm. the Bose oh, 801
3: yeah. speakers or the nine oh ones, maybe
0: actually? And the four oh ones. Well the eight oh ones and the four oh ones and the eight oh ones and they had that processor that would make them sound somewhat decent because they were just a whole array of basically speakers about the size of the Orton driver.
3: Yes. They're a bunch of four inch drivers. And the 901s actually were for home listening where eight drivers faced backwards. One driver faced forwards. Batman. <laughs> Start over with eight drivers with eight drivers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the consumer version, eight drivers were f- rear firing. One was front firing. So the majority of the sound you're hearing was reflective sound. But they were all four-inch drivers. But the speakers sounded lousy unless you plugged in their own EQ box, which was basically dialing in a nice disco smile. Exactly. Yeah on on the speakers to to make up for the deficiencies in the response. So if you did a similar thing with an Aurotone, they might they might actually sound not too different.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean they, they, they were ported speakers as well for those Bows. They were, they were. The, the really good thing about the Bows, I mean Bows got much more into consumer stuff, but the 801s and the 401s, the big deal about that was you could basically bring those with a subwoofer and have a really loud, good sounding PA with like Half the weight.
3: Yeah. The the 801 was the Pro speaker, and the 901 was the consumer one. And I don't know which came first, but what was and it found funny was the Pro was just a, a reverse of the consumer. The 901, the speakers mostly faced the rear. The Pro version, they flipped it around, and they made them all mostly forward-facing. So it's really clever, those Bose guys. The other thing they made years ago that I always found extremely fascinating was their bass cannon Which was just a humongous tube with a subwoofer placed at the exact right place in the center of the tube, not right down the middle of the tube, but in the exact spots that the two signals would be phase coherent when it it came out of the tube. And these things were like 12 feet long. It's
0: the wave guy that they advertise now with their, you know, their whatever radio. Bose has always based itself off of big sound in small packages. Whereas Oratone is small sound in small
3: package. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad sound in small package. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, as long as you know what they should sound like and they translate. It's all about that, as they call translating. As long as that, what you hear translates to the real world. That's, that's you know, the by far the most crucial thing. And people also mixed on NS10s from Yamaha, which I never liked the way they sounded, but that wasn't really the point.
0: I got a pair of them over here and I have a pair of NS20s.
3: Oh, NS20s, okay. Is that a larger driver? It's
0: a larger driver, more of a consumer version of them. Um, really funny, I do like NS10s a lot and they are not pleasant to listen on, but I have to say that especially more for mixing music, they are sort of completely the opposite of a pair of Genelecs. And so NS10s have this big 4K rise, and they will fatigue you after a while. But when you're mixing music, and it seems to be a lot of the times the style with the music is that you want the vocal to more sit into the mix. It's not like a commercial where you need to hear every word and every, you know, tick and (laughs) like you have to de-click it even. So the NS-10 would put so much vocal out there that you would put it where you think it needs to go and then naturally it would sit back and there is something about mixing on NS-10s especially music where it just translates across to again for the 80s those boom boxes and those other sort of more consumer-y systems Um, and now what music guys are doing is they're still mixing on NS-10s, they've just begun to add subwoofers to the setup um, just to kind of fill that in. Now, the funny thing is the Gentilex are so much darker, especially in that mid range. They they kind of like gentle X definitely have like somewhat of a smiley face thing. They got a spitty top end and, and that, you know, that base that they have, but they, You know, when you're mixing a commercial and you get that vocal to pop out of a Genelec, then when you play it on a small speaker, the vocal just absolutely flies out of the thing because the Genelec was already kind of suppressing it a little bit in that vocal range. Um, And so I do tend to do a lot of my post-mixing on Genelecs and my music mixing on NS-10s. And and, um, I would actually argue that possibly, because the other pair of speakers I have, if anyone knows about these... um, have you ever heard of Dunleavy's? I have. They are six feet tall. The ones that I have have a 10-inch, a 4-inch, and a 2-inch. So they're they're these... Um, actually, Dun, Duntek, I believe, the original company that kind of started this style of speaker, I believe was, was an Australian sp- company. But Dunleavy's were out of Colorado. And they are just... Sweet mastering speakers, um Bob Ludwig kind of made them popular with the uh, even bigger version of these of these types of speakers um and I gotta say you pair the n s tens up with a with a subwoofer and then you compare the n s tens to the dunlavies and you compare the Gen to the dunlavies and the n s tens are much closer and the dunlavies are a you know used they're a six thousand dollar pair of speakers
3: wow. And passive, right? They need to be amped.
0: Yeah, they they're biamped. I got a I got a Mark Levinson amp for them, but yeah, they're
2: they're really cool. Have you ever tried the Yamaha MSP10 Studio?
0: Are those the new powered ones.
2: Well, they're pretty old now, but um, oh, I'm guessing they're be fifteen years old.
0: Yeah, the white they they still have the white woofers, but they're sort of like Yamaha's response no. to it. oh
2: no, they they look more like a General They're piano black, or they came in timber. Um, the big big speakers, the MSP ten studio. I haven't
0: like like the only speakers from Yamaha I'm really truly f- truly familiar with are basically the NS tens and the NS twenties, which are basically a slightly more bass version of the NS ten. Because I think Yamaha also has like the newer H- HSM or HMS, which are yeah you know. And I've not listened to any of those to be oh, honest. What did you, what did uh, what
3: monitors are you using?
0: Uh, I've got
4: two sets. I've got some um, Dynaudio acoustics, some passive ones that just run off a, an air. Yeah. and then I've just got a little some some um, active fo- little Fostex ones as my B speakers.
3: Oh, cool! Are they the little four-inch ones? Are the Fostex ones? Yeah, they got a tweeter and yeah, a, and and a, a tweeter sub, this the little which, small which, and two, which two
4: two base ports. I can't remember the model number. I'm hopeless with that stuff. Or be honest 2 with you, <laughs> something 4. like that. Something like that. Yeah, they're little they're little small 4. ones. Yeah. But um, yeah, a tweeter and a, and a yeah. sub. I sort of swip, swap between the two. Um, pretty much.
0: Have you, have you guys ever heard of uh, Proax or Proac Pro speakers or Proac? Have you ever heard of those? Nope, No. They are um, m- very popular in music circles. They're passive, uh, little. I don't know what it is—a six-inch driver with a tweeter. Um, you know, you'd think like, gosh, these things can only be worth a couple hundred bucks, and they go for several thousand. Mm. They sound fabulous, and they have a, an amazing amount of bass for a. Again, you know, like something about the size, a little bit bigger maybe than an S10. It is ported, mm. but those are um, pretty awesome speakers, for, like big punch for the size of
3: the package. Nice. So what you're saying, they're, they're, they cost several thousand or they sound like they cost several thousand?
0: They do cost several thousand and they're passive. Right. There's no amp.
2: Well, my one's according to one of the Gear Sluts reviews on uh, the MSP10s the studios you can actually dry your hair to them (laughs) so and you can right um you can actually blow your hair off. Talking <laughs> about the air coming out of the yeah. port? It's got two ports and uh, <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of air coming out of there, a lot of movement. That
0: that reminds me of the um, the JBL Century 100s, which I think the that was the consumer version and then the 4312s. These were speakers very popular in the late 70s and early 80s, kind of like the around the same time that the Oratones ruled, and they were these big 12-inch actually another white cone. They, they were kind of famous for their white cone with their 12-inch driver JBL speakers, and they have a port. And the same thing, man, those things put out a lot of bass, and you put your hand over the port, and yeah. <laughs> it would just move your hand, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels like a sail.
2: Well, I think we've um, pretty well covered off monitoring this week. Yeah. Um, On the next episode, we'll be talking with the guy we mentioned earlier, a guy called Phil Lentz, who's a bit of a tech head, um, now based in Perth, working in television, but has a huge background in radio and TV. So uh, that'll be next week. Looking forward to that one. Phil actually gave me my first gig in radio. Oh, well, let's cancel that one then. (laughs) He has a lot to answer for.
4: Well, we'll hear from him then. See if he remembers. All right. I'm sure he will.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just us that don't, doesn't. Yeah, we
4: do <laughs> Who are you? I, I've got a funny story about our first meeting, but I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll do it next week. I'll tell you then. Yeah, cool. All right. Ooh, a teaser.
2: Oh, yeah, we we'll love a teaser. <laughs> Out. <laughs>
4: goodbye.
0: Goodbye. Wipe the tear, baby, from your eye. Though it's hard
3: to part, I know. I'll be tickled to death to Don't cry. Don't sigh, there's a silver lining in the sky. Bonsoir, old thing, cheerio, chin, chin, na, poo, toodle, good goodbye.